Welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. My name is Marley. Today's guest is Kelly Barth. Kelly is the author of the memoir, My Almost Certainly Real Imaginary Jesus. Kelly, welcome. Thanks, Marley. Great. It's good to have you. I have to start out, I, you know I have this thing for names. I think I mentioned this to you. I really um, just have a passion for it. And I just have to start out with, how in the world did you pick the name for this book? <laughs> well, you know, I... Um I had difficulty coming up with a title, and I had several working titles while I was drafting it. And, you know, at one point I thought I would call it Church Girl, and then, you know, I didn't didn't end up wanting to emphasize um, the kind of permanent Church Girl idea, um, because I do kind of work my way out of... of, um, a more traditional church-going person by the end of the book, but I... Um, I had settled on uh, Imaginary Jesus as a working title. And when working with my editor at, at Arctoy, she said, you know, I'm just worried that whenever I see the title, the name Jesus in the title of a book, it, it gives me hives. Um, you know, it's clearly uh, a, a real... Um, trigger point for many people mm-hmm. so uh, we thought about that and I, I just really felt like um, that concept of having imaginary Jesus in the title was important and then later in the process we also found out that uh, a fairly fundamentalist um, uh, writer had written a book called Imaginary Jesus his take on the book was that people make up Jesus in their own head and and um it's it's a novel based on that idea and and so we all kind of shrank from that in horror like oh, we don't want to be associated with this guy so um we kind of sat on it for a couple of months and the publisher of Arctoy um it was an interesting process. She and I said, well, let's, we're going to need to work on this, and it's going to be a hard slog. Titles are often the hardest thing. And so we would think about it quietly, um, privately, with each, and then we would get back together and talk about it. And it frankly came down to um, let's make sure we, that this this. Uh, title reflects humor. We want people to be able to look at it and think, "Oh, this is not this is not going to be some wacko um, talking about their faith." Um, so Eloise said, "You know, I'm noticing there are a lot of long titles right now. So here's what I think the title of the book is." And she said it, and I laughed, and I said, "That's it." So basically, we we just um, we tried to calm down, and we were a ways into editing the book itself before we arrived at this title. And it just it it relieved the editor. She said, "Okay, I can tell that's funny. Um, I'm not I'm not breaking out in hives." Um, and so we, that's how we arrived at it. Um, it, it. It wasn't actually my title. It was the publishers and she also with me felt like it was important because Imaginary Jesus was such a key um, part of the narrative. 
she also felt that that was something we needed to include in the title. So that was how we arrived at the title. That's interesting because I think publishers sometimes can get a bad rap. <laughs> oh, I know. And, you know, because it was, again, because it was a, a small press, um, I was involved in um, parts of the the process I think that other authors aren't. Um, and, you know, many people end up naming their own book, but I they, they end up wrangling with the publisher about um, tweaking it or changing it altogether. But this was a very good experience for me all the way around, working with, with uh, Arctoy and Red Hen. Um, they were just very respectful of me and, and ultimately what I wanted to have the book look and sound like so it was a very good very good uh experience that's great i i somehow thought your answer to this question was going to tie back to the johnny cash song Ooh, what's that <laughs> you know that he's got that song uh, your own personal jesus oh yeah <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes yeah in fact one of the other interviews i did um the guy is also he also plays music in between interviews and and that was playing as he as he introduced me um so so no it had nothing to to do with the Johnny Cash song tell us a little bit about the book just kind of a a quick overview because i think um when people read the title i think it immediately makes them wonder what is this book about well basically it's about um about my experience growing up um gay and Christian in the Midwest, in the Bible Belt, and um, what a very odd experience that was. It was so full of of psychological contradictions um, and struggles for me um, to try to fit in two worlds that um, didn't want to have anything to do with each other for most of the 80s and 90s. Um, so that that's basically what it's about. My kind of my journey from um, from a, a home where my parents were fairly moderate Presbyterians, and um, we didn't uh, we didn't go in for deep dish fundamentalism. Um, and then I, uh, in a sense, kind of befriended the bully and became became a fundamentalist myself. Um, uh, in a way, um, I mm. think trying to um, stay under the radar um, of of church uh, abuse. Um, if if I if I could be associated with fundamentalism, um, I could hide my sexuality and um and there was some internalized homophobia going on you know i felt as if at at certain points in my life as as if um this hardcore christianity um this very literalist understanding of jesus and jesus's death and and uh and the kind of uh old school real literalist understanding of christianity would would fix me um, and, you know, because certainly in the 80s it was difficult, um, it was difficult to be gay in school and, and just in the larger culture. Um, it wasn't, wasn't cool in many circles. So, 
Um, and I think many people have followed that path. And, you know, growing up, my, um, my church home as a young person in, in the more moderate Presbyterian church that I described to you was, was very, um, it was a very good place for me to be. Um, it was welcoming. I wasn't, certainly wasn't out as a young person, but, um, the church was very affirming. And my sense of Jesus growing up in a, in a home like I did, um, my sense of Jesus when I was a young kid was a very sweet and gentle one. Um, Jesus was, uh, the person who, um, discouraged the disciples when they tried to keep children away from him. Um, he invited uh, the children to come and sit on his lap and, and yes, to distract him. And that's the Jesus I grew up with as a little kid. And um, I grew up in a in a family of three older sisters, and sometimes they didn't have time to play with me. And I had this imaginary uh, set of imaginary friends, and, and Jesus was one of them. And um, he was a pal, you know. And, and my parents did tell me when I was little that Jesus could live in my heart and I thought, well, he must be really tiny then. So I had this sense of this sort of like, you know, two or three inch tall Jesus being somewhere. I never could actually spot him, but I figured he he was everywhere. That's what they had told me. So I thought, well, I've got, I always have this little pal somewhere around me and and a pal who, like I said, liked kids and was um, was a, a good friend of God's. And so, you know, what better imaginary friend to have? And then, of course, as I um, grew older and, and um, became exposed to more fundamentalist Christianity like Youth for Christ and, um, you know, bab- kind of more Baptist and um, conservative thinking, um, the image, my image of Jesus, the official Jesus that those churches were putting forward was, was certainly less affirming. Um, and, uh, I think the historical Jesus would be appalled at the way he is portrayed. Um, and so, so that's kind of the, the basic story is, you know, this, this, um, um, introduction to a very affirming, radically loving, um, mm-hmm. Jesus and a, a kind of voyage into fundamentalism away from him and then this return um, to this uh, to the the figure of Jesus who was um, the lover of of people who were um, marginalized women and and uh, sick people and lepers and children and and you know as as many um, theologians now feel um, he would have befriended um, certainly LGBT people, um, and so so that so that's the journey um, of the book follows. That's that's wonderful. You know, I don't. I, I'm sure you don't know this about me, but I I grew up Southern Baptist, so I I definitely know what you're talking about when you're talking about the fundamentalists and. Um, in fact, we used to sing this song in church. The words were basically, you know, you, you cannot hide from God. And <laughs> yes. No matter what you do, you're going to get caught. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the sense, you know, that there um, there was this 
sense of um, um, meanie God and um, a God so angry with you that um, that if Jesus hadn't, if he hadn't been able to kill Jesus on our behalf, he would just be wanting to, you know, just consume us with fire or eat us alive or something. So. So that that was the message I got from the fundamentalist churches we, that we are so um, depraved and um, and uh, despicable and repugnant that God can't look at us unless He's able to kill His Son on our behalf. So uh, ju- just very strange thinking and um, and lots of frightened people, um, lots of frightened people uh, involved in the church. And um, and I, I don't want to make a too sweeping a statement. I know that, you know, religion has been a comfort to many people and can be in even in fundamentalist circles. Um, my sister is one who's a very dear person and loves people desperately. Um, but on the whole, it was a terrible experience for me, and I don't think one that completely, that, that accurately represents who Jesus was as a human, um, as a human being, you know, he was, he was, uh, an amazing person. And, um, I think a lot of the literalism that gets put on him and a lot of the misinterpretations of his actions, um, uh, just destroys the mission that he had with people. Um, so, yeah, well, I think that's interesting because I, on one of the, I, I heard you mention earlier uh, in a previous interview that you said it's it was harder to come out as Christian Definitely. rather than gay. Definitely. And I was just curious: is that because you're gay? Because I think it seems overall most people who are non-believers have a very difficult time, uh, quote, coming out. Well, I think um, I think it was harder for me. Uh, at, at a later point, to to indicate mm. that I wanted to embrace both um, uh, kind of new paradigm Christianity, um, more progressive form of Christianity, and being homosexual, um, because so many the church has the the fundamentalist church anyway has been so hateful with um, with gay people that it's um, it's it's just a it's a millstone around your neck if you say um, I'm also I also want to follow the the Christian tradition. Um, it was it was it's difficult um, because there's so many contradictions. Um, some of the loudest, most strident voices today against gay marriage, against well, I should say against marriage equality, against um, LGBT people are coming from the church, and so, um, so it, yes, it was difficult um, to, to try to stride, straddle those two um, camps. And I was already at that point so comfortable with who I am, my sexuality, that um, that coming out at a certain point uh, just was inevitable. And if I was going to be myself, but um, but yes, em- um, embracing the church has been more difficult in some ways. Yeah, I'm often uh, confused by people that I see that uh, you know, they say they're 
they, they're gay and they're maybe they're even a Republican and they're very involved in uh, religion. <laughs> it just seems like, and they're then maybe even a woman. And religion seems to kind of suppress women a lot as far as leadership roles in the church. Yes, yeah, it's it's you know the church has the traditional church anyway has a long way to go, um, and I I think. I think we're kind of seeing the, I, at least I hope this anyway, this last gasp of sort of black and white thinking. This, It's a very fearful um, um, fearful response to change. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, the ideas that a lot of the fundamentalist churches put forward uh, never existed in the first place. You know, these kind of um, 50s family ideals never truly existed in anyone's house and um, this ideal marriage has never existed the ideal families never existed and, and so I think there's just this very strange kind of fear-based um, reaction going on um, especially over the talk of, of marriage equality lately um, I think it's sort of the last gasp of a of a of a group of people in a culture they see changing around them and and they just they can't stop it it's a it's a boulder rolling downhill I thought you're going to think this is interesting but I thought once about uh telling my mom I was gay even though I'm not but I wanted to shock her and then after I said those words I was going to say no mom I'm not gay I'm just a democrat <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. Prepare her for the for the lesser shock. Of, yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, to my mom, that I don't know. I think they there there could be equality in the statements. <laughs> but I, horrifying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I loved how your parents reacted to your coming out. I I thought that it seemed so loving and so accepting and. Uh, genuinely worried about you I, I just wondered are they up for adoption well gosh you know my my mother um had passed away in 05 but you know they truly um they they did some, I, I would say I was surprised on one level but I just always knew and I know this isn't true of all people I always knew at the at the core of our relationship there was this there was this fierce um love that that would never go away um you know we'd had some fairly serious disagreements about other things uh, all of us all of my siblings and my parents um and yet um we're just we're just stuck together for good or for bad I just always had this sense that I would I would um, remain in the fold and I think I think I in order to come out I had to get to the place where I could accept their um, their distance and rejection um, I had to get to the place where I would be all, all right with that if it occurred um, but yeah, they, I think they were they were old enough. I think uh, my experience with older people has been a, a very good one in terms of coming out. Um, in general, older people um, 
have realized what battles to fight, and this was not one my parents were willing to fight. They, they had to. Um, they loved me at the core of it all, and so they had to find a way to make everything fit, to make things make sense, and um, and I have had to do that with my family as well. You know, we still um, disagree <laughs> politically in really major ways, and yet. Um, it's just the relationships more important to all of us than the differences that we have. And yes, my parents were amazing. There, there just is no book to prepare you for the kind of reaction that I got from them. So, did you agree not to talk about these political things their, that you? Their age. I, I think they were, they were, they were, they were both fairly, cons- uh, I would say, Republican in their thinking. And over the years, as I say in the memoir, you know, I, I, I did not have a very good impression of how they would respond to me saying that I was gay. You know, my mother was um, very concerned about the splits that, that the issue had caused in the Presbyterian Church. And I think she just felt as if she didn't know any gay people and um, and had an impression of gay people that was not accurate. And... She and now that she knew one, um, she had to find a way to change her thinking. And I just, I, I still am so amazed and and so um, appreciative of them. Uh, and I had I not been willing to come out, and I think this is what many people. Um, still who are afraid to come out to parents, and it's typically people older than my age or older, um, who are still afraid to come out to parents. I mean, I think you're not giving them the opportunity to change. We're not, we're not giving people the opportunity by, by refusing to come out, by pretending and, and, you know, just agreeing to the lie. We're not allowing people to adapt. Um, and people will um, you know, if you know enough um, gay people, I've known enough heterosexual people that now I can't accept them. And if you know enough gay people, you know, you, you'll you figure it out somehow. And, um, uh, but, but truly, yeah, my parents were amazing. And my dad in particular, I just, I had, he was, he was a loose cannon when I was growing up as a uh, kind of an angry and kind of unpredictable and and yet again like like my mother I always sensed he would be there for me and he was um he and he thought in ways that I couldn't imagine him being able to think he you know asked whether we were going to have a ceremony whether we were going to have children this was right after they found out and so I have to think that that um they had this this core of love in them that just it was always there um and you know they found a way to they found a way to make room for me so amazing story yes it is i i resonate with what you're saying it it, it sounded like what you're saying is um it's important to be your authentic self because you know it gives other people the opportunity to understand you better that's right they can't they can't fully know you and you can't fully know them unless 
you make that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's and, scary. It's it, you know, It is because, you know, we're social beings and to be connected with our family, all that stuff feels really important. Yes. It feels, it, it, uh, on a real deep level, it felt um, like I'm... I'm uh, it felt like survival to me. It was my mm-hmm. relationship with my parents was yeah, as as any child is with their parents. It was so deep and so visceral that it felt that that level. You know, there's the 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 um, the inner child in me said, "This is really dangerous. Um, if you if you." Uh, "Quote unquote rebel in this way, you're, um, it threatens your your um, your basic survival." Um, and I think uh, I think uh, until people kind of wrestle with that, and you know, I had to wrestle with that in therapy. You know, you are not going to die if you tell your parents that you're gay, and they don't they don't respect that and don't accept it. Um, but but because that relationship's so primal. Um, it's really terrifying, and um, it's terrifying for parents as well. You know, you've you've given birth to this child who you, uh, for good or, or 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 for bad, expect to be able to kind of groom. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my my therapist used the image of plant. You know, you plant a, a rose, and up comes a marigold. And as you, it's it's growing, you're thinking this is not looking right. So you start sort of amending the soil and you know pruning and and thinking what has gone wrong here and um it's just it's difficult to see this this life that came out of you um start to make its moves of its own and you know that that relationship's so fraught with um with emotion and uh, yeah it's it's truly terrifying for both sides when you were able to finally come out on the other side and your family still loves you and everything, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's still things to deal with, but it seems like it would be so freeing. Oh, a lot yes. of energy went into Absolutely. The, Very freeing. You know, it was so, it took so much energy to pretend Yes. Um, that, yeah, it was an amazing thing to realize, oh, well, they, they do know that both of us, sleep in the same bedroom now oh whew. you know just it was such a weird little dance um that yes took so much energy and there were certain topics we just couldn't discuss like mm-hmm. we always talked about the weather and, you know, <laughs> that yeah. was totally safe we had these <laughs> lists of little safe topics and and you know that the topics uh then opened up again like ah oh, you know i could i could complain about lisa uh, to to my mother, you know, with her understanding that this is a this yes. is a relationship um, like mm-hmm. any other, and we deeply love and deeply irritate each other, and so there was this just this basic understanding that was that was no longer uh, it was no longer uh, hidden, um, and yes, so much relief. Um, and and I was so grateful. You know, my mother became seriously ill um, about five years after I came out to to them, and we were able. I was able to 
to have Lisa support me through that, and she ultimately died from it. And I was able to have Lisa support me through that and have my family totally understand um, why she was involved. I mean, she only family was allowed in to see my mother toward the end, and, of course, Lisa was allowed in. And, you know, it was just, it was um, so timely and so important. You know, our relationship really transformed um, in those last five years, it just made our family relationship um, so much deeper. It, you know, even with siblings as well, um, they just and you they, have several siblings. I have three sisters. Yeah, um, and I noticed something interesting. Uh, their names, your all of your names start with a K. Yes. Yeah, my mother started and couldn't stop. You know, she <laughs> she started with the K's and just couldn't couldn't stop. Um, and uh, she would mistake, uh, well, I mean, she didn't, obviously didn't mix us up, but she would, she would get the wrong name, and so she would go through her kick-kick-kick-kick-kick, you know, when she was in, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a stressed state, she would call us by any number of names. And so it was an odd little decision of hers, but um, it worked. Um, and actually... Uh, she spelled my name like the the boys' uh, version of Kelly and Lee, which I was very proud of her for doing, and because uh, I uh, I really appreciated the <laughs> the proper spelling. I have a friend from my uh, back from my Southern Baptist days that she's still very religious, and she decided to name her kids so that the acronym would, of the first names would spell Jesus. <laughs> but I think she got tired of having babies, so I think she quit. <laughs> Did she end up with Jesu or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think Jesu, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> wow. Huh. So there's a lot of uh, naming patterns, I think, that parents get into when they name their kids. Yeah, and you know, funny too that that Kelly I have discovered is <laughs> a major lesbian name. It uh, is? Yes. I know lots of gay Kellys. Um very odd. Um and you know at at the at the time I was named Kelly, I think it was sort of one of those um booms of names and it and mm-hmm. everybody in high school with me was named Kelly, it seemed like. And um then there was the Charlie's Angel Kelly and and uh yeah for a while I thought god it's such a common name um and then I discovered yes that that lesbians are named Kelly and often Lisa so my partner's name so you know there must have been a, a destiny a pool of names that they pulled from so have you seen the movie Still Magnolias yes it seems like there's a line in that movie where they're in the beauty shop and one of the ladies says, <clears throat> if, if the guy is named this, 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 or Steve, <laughs> that was a sign that they were gay. Yeah, you know? oh, yeah. Randy, Steve, Mark. I mean, there are, yes, there are some very gay male names. Yes. It's just Interesting. So silly. But it's true. Or maybe they just, you know, fully inhabit their name. You know, I think maybe the lesbian Kellys just fully embrace it. I don't know. Or maybe uh, there's a certain level. Kelly is a name that seems a little bit 
uh, you know, doesn't have, it can be male or female. It's androgynous, yes. Yeah, androgynous, yes. And yeah. so maybe, maybe that's it, I don't know. And you know, it's true, my, my parents had just moved, when I was born, they had just moved into a house, a new house with um, mm-hmm. three bedrooms. And they had, they already had three daughters. And so there was this panic throughout my mother's pregnancy. Oh no, what if it's a boy? We cannot have, um, a boy and a girl in the same bedroom. So, um, so I think she wished me to be a, uh, a girl, but <laughs> I must have had boyishness in me. Um, cause yeah, she, they were, they were truly panicked. Um, thinking they yes. didn't have enough room for this. I was kind of a surprise. I was, uh, you can probably edit this out, but I was, I fought my way through a diaphragm. I was, um, <laughs> an ill-fitting <laughs> diaphragm. I was not supposed to happen. Um, I, I'm in the same boat. I was an accident as well. Were you? Yeah. And, and told many times. <laughs> my parents were... <laughs> My parents were filing for divorce, and so, you know, we're both in Missouri. Um, you cannot get divorced if you're pregnant. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to wait to divorce until after you were born? Yeah, well, and then they ended up uh, staying together a little bit longer. So, oh. yeah, but I know. <laughs> wow. It's a weird feeling. It is, yeah. I just thought, wow, I must have, you know, just really, I fought my way, Um so. You are meant to be here. And yeah. in fact, that makes me want to ask you this question is that, you know, you mentioned that you, you felt like you needed to tell this story because of what you went through and how difficult it was, this whole coming out process. And I'm just curious, has your book really resonated well with others going through the same thing? Yeah, it really has. And especially, I've, I've found, especially with, with people my age and older, um, yes, it's been a relief for people, I think, uh, to have their story told. Um, they, uh, I've had many people come up and say, yeah, this is, you, you've, you've described my life. Um, and I think there was this, this particular window of time that was difficult for all the same reasons for people. Um, and so, yes, it's resonated with people from from my era in particular, and younger people, of course, too. Uh, I did have a I did have a friend who's younger say, "Oh gosh, aren't we just all done with worrying about all this?" You know, I think mm. I think they, you know young gay people are fine with everything, and I I said, "Absolutely not!" You know the the bullying that still goes on, and the 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 church abuse. And the um, the the whole ex gay ministries that are involved in ruining people's lives. I mean, there have been suicides, fairly prominent suicides in mm-hmm. recent years, and I just I just really don't think it's over. Um, I think, and I think the more people who come out and the more voices that are heard. Um, the easier it will be, and it's truly the the series of interviews that it's get it gets better series is so important for people to be able to look around them and see, yes, my teacher's gay, my mechanic is gay, my dentist is gay, my 
you know, my veterinarian's gay. It's just important for people to to be visible. And uh, that this book was my way of of doing that, of saying, you know, not all gay people are like the image in your head. And um, I want to be able to speak for on behalf of people who, who have felt, you know, invisible and frightened and um, like I did. And uh, yeah, I think that I think that I accomplished that. You describe yourself as an accidental activist. Is this book part of that? Yeah, it really has been. I just, uh, I, uh, as I was writing it, hoped that I would eventually see it in print. Um, but I guess when I was working on it, I couldn't think about that. I just needed to tell the story. And since that time, I just, I didn't realize how, what an impact it would have on people and, um, I, you become kind of an accidental poster child for um, for people in the church, or I have become an accidental poster child for people in the church, for people, uh, for gay people, for gay people in the church. Um, so I have to be I have to be aware of that when I when I speak to people about it. I have to be aware that there are some people who are completely comfortable in the traditional church still, and that's good and so I have to be careful not to make broad, sweeping comments about um, what people should and should not do regarding Christianity. But I also have to speak on behalf of of gay people, people like me who've suffered at the hands of the church. So I've had to kind of walk a, a very fine line. Um, people have ex- certain expectations of me um, in both circles, I think, and... I've had to be had to be extremely sensitive to that, and 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 yes, being an activist, I I just hadn't expected to be asked to answer such a variety of questions about um, you know you become a spokesperson for for things. I just hadn't hadn't expected to speak for all gay Christians, um, I, and I certainly don't, um, but. Yeah, I just I just hadn't planned on that. I hadn't planned on the universal. You also describe yourself as an extreme introvert. So do those two come into conflict sometimes? Yeah, they do in a sense. But you know, I thankfully have have the ability to to kind of be able to speak in front of groups <laughs> and and um, you know, I just read the book Quiet by, uh, um, oh, yeah. I'm not going to be able to remember the woman's name, fantastic book. And she describes, you know, introverts being able to pretend to be extroverts. And I think I've been able to do that my whole life. You know, I, you know your career or your life makes certain demands on you. And I've been able to um, to tell stories in front of groups and feel comfortable with that and uh, however, after I finished speaking, um, like a true inf- introvert, I I just feel drained. I need to, you know, hole up and relax. And so the book the book tour last year was was pretty difficult. I was sick a lot. Um, I got colds every every cold that presented itself. I accepted it, and I had ear infections. I was exhausted. Um, and every place I went, though, it was so 
moving and important for me to be there, and I loved being there, being with people. I was surprised to see how people were moved by the book. I would I would be reading and look up, and people would be crying, and I would just that was very surprising um, and draining. You know, I would I I would I've I've watched people like um, Jane Goodall mm-hmm. um, speak in front of crowds, and people faint and weep, and I had always thought, oh, how awful that would be to have people just you know be that. Um, that sensitive to what you're saying and that sensitive to your presence and yet it did happen at time no one fainted thank god Um, (laughs) but i did have people you know because the the subject matter was so close for them that um it it just brought up a lot of emotional stuff and um it was it was um a reminder to me to have good boundaries to just kind of say that's their stuff and this is my stuff and um i i remember my my um publisher had said you know you just need to keep that kind of little plexiglass bubble around yourself and you know smile from within it but just make sure that you're you keep your interior safe so yeah it's been a it's been a little bit of a struggle it makes me wonder if uh, if you would put that as an unexpected outcome from publishing your first book. Uh, I yeah, I guess I would. I um, I just didn't I didn't know the impact it would have, and I I don't know why I didn't realize that. You know, because I, I you, you know when you're living your own life and going through things, you don't realize how universal your experience is. Um, that was silly me that was a revelation that I wasn't the only one going through these things and it's uh and so you so I I wasn't prepared to have people respond to hearing my story as if it was their own um you know I think I know what you mean there my my dad died a few years ago and I would tell people that my dad felt so much larger than life my dad was he was over six foot, he was the first person, or one of the first freshmen to play football at uh, Southwest Missouri State. And he was a big guy, big voice. And so I just, you know, he was larger than life, but I was so surprised to hear everybody feels that way about their dad. Yes. Yeah, you, you're It's like a universal thing. Yeah, you're surprised how universal that your your core stories are. Yeah. Yes, Yeah. Yeah, you, you. It's 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 comforting, but at the same time, it's it, it's disconcerting at the same time. Yeah, it is. It unites you, but it also it yeah. can it can be a real source of stress. Yeah. So, do you have any next books in the works? Well, I um, I do. I um, since I uh, graduated from my um, writing program many years ago, I've only written essays, memoir. Um, And so while I was working on this book, I did have a sense of essays that I wanted to get back to. So I'm trying to get some of that windfall of fruit um, picked up and worked on. However, I've had uh, an idea for a novel. I think I talked about that at the the, uh, diastole talk mm-hmm. that I gave where you were in attendance. Um, I have a 
the idea of a novel that's been percolating in the back of my mind for quite a while, and I'm not sure how I'll do with fiction. Um, I had only written fiction up to the time of writing school, so but I'd only written you know short fiction. This feels like a longer piece, um, and certainly you know there are autobiographical elements in it. Um, not all the characters would be taken from whole cloth from from real lives, but um, so I'm sure there'll be some some crossover, but it's a, it'll be a new experience for me um, to 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 go back to um, fiction. Excellent! I can't wait to uh, learn more about those as they come come around. And I know you've got a website. I'll be sure to mention that. I've got one last question for you. Yeah. Um, tell me what inspires you. What inspires me? Wow! You know. Well, what has recently, well, not not that recently, in the last, you know, probably five or six years, um, uh, the alternative to to traditional church attendance um, has been for both my partner and I um, something called New Cosmology. So um, that inspires me a great deal. And in a nutshell, um, New Cosmology is, is sort of a, a remembering of um, how important um, religious tradition is for people, that humans are kind of meaning-making animals, and we, we do need to, to feel awe, and we need to feel um, a sense of mystery and wonder about the things around us. And community. And community. And, but the, the thing that new cosmology does is try to stay current with scientific discoveries, and understanding of new understandings of the universe and both the microcosm and the macrocosm. What new cosmology does is combine this, this religious impulse in humans, this sense, the need for a sense of awe and wonder and appreciation for all that's around us and within us with an, a sense of the the new scientific understandings that that humans have made about um, evolution, about uh, the size and breadth of the universe, about um, our understanding of what goes on at the micro and macro level in in life, um, it combines all of those things. And instead of you know the church and science divorcing as they did in many centuries ago it was a bad divorce um what new cosmology does is bring the two back together again and um and says humans need a new big story to help um uh fulfill that religious impulse we need to fully understand what's going on around us and be awed by it. Um, so that excites me. New cosmology excites me in a in a big way. Um, just having a sense of how immense the universe is and how um, how intricate, intric- intricately um, evolved all of us are. How many creatures live within us and on us and around us. Uh, it's just an endless source of fascination and excitement and, and interest for me. And, it, it, and once you have a sense that you belong here on this planet, that we're not somehow destined for a better place in heaven, once you have a sense that you're fully grounded and fully related 
made of the the stuff of stars, you know, literally. Uh, once you have a sense of that, or once I had a sense of that, uh, it just it changed everything. It altered my per- perception of everything. I I am a I am an Earthling. I belong in this universe. I belong on this planet, and so does everything else around me. And I'm I'm an, I'm a re- I'm I'm literally related to everything around me, and and that has had a huge impact on on the way that I feel about myself and the way that I treat other people, and and I think truly it's the way Jesus was able to intuit um, others. He realized. Um, because of his his closeness to the to the kind of thin places his, his his relation to mystery he had a sense of just how related we all are how how um and how wondrous um this place where we are really is that's a great statement and i it's something i love to focus on especially today where at least in the united states it just feels like everybody's on one side or the other. I think Republican, Democrat, uh, religious, not religious, gay, straight, whatever, we all have so much in common. Absolutely, yes. And if we could just focus on that. We're related. Yes. I just watched a show the other night on PBS. It was Nova, I believe, called The Journey of Man. (laughs) And because of evolution, we've been able to, genetic analysis, they've been able to trace uh, all humans back to um, one man's DNA in in Africa, um, and it just it just amazes me. We literally are all related, and mm. and that that truly alters your perception um, once you have a sense of just how connected, how interconnected we are. Yeah, it 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 changes changes um, everything. Well, that is definitely an inspirational uh, thought to end this interview on. I, I really appreciate your time today, Kelly. Thanks so much, Marley. It's been a pleasure. Kelly Barth is author of the book, My Almost Certainly Real Imaginary Jesus. You can learn more about Kelly, including links to her book at namelymarley.com. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for joining me here today. Stay tuned for more fresh and fun interviews in the future.